Good morning. Once again, welcome to Mercy Hill. It's great to be worshiping with you all this morning. Uh, as Josh said, my name is Kevin, and I'll be um, uh, delivering God's Word this morning. So if you have your Bible, you want to turn to John chapter 7. We're going to get back into our series called The Word, our study in the book of John, the Gospel of John. And uh, I just kind of wanted to recap last week because I think it's going to tie in well with where we're going this morning in the Gospel of John and what it means to be the church, right? Our last series, the little mini-series that we did in conjunction with our Fall Friends Day was Best Laid Plans, looking at God's design, God's plan for us, His people, right? We looked at a little bit about family, about marriage, about what it is to be the church. And last week, Ernie really uh, focused in on spiritual gifts, that God has blessed us with His Holy Spirit and has bestowed gifts upon us for a couple different reasons. The first one was to share the gospel, right? Since Jesus, before he leaves, he's like, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Central, one of the main things, the purposes of the church is to share the good news about Jesus. He also mentioned that uh, one of the purposes of the church is that we may edify each other, that we may build up each other. And that he's given us gifts, God-given spiritual gifts for the edification, for the building up, if you look at uh, 1 Corinthians, for the building up of the body so that we might um, be blessed, be edified, be encouraged, um, be built up into a singular body for the glory of Jesus Christ. And then the last one, really just talking about like purpose of the church, the glory of Christ and all the outworkings of the church are to that end. Doesn't matter what we do, doesn't matter what we engage in, the way that we open up the scriptures together, the purpose of that is that we might be better worshipers. Do you realize that? Like everything we do, whether it be uh, participating in this brand new moms group or one of the other awesome community groups, being in each other's lives, using the gifts of God in each other's lives is so that we may see and behold Christ, build each other up, and thus be better worshipers. Not better singers, not better song leaders, not just Sunday morning, 15 minutes before Pastor Kevin comes and talks into a mic. Worshipers in spirit, truth, daily, in our living the way we parent, the way we uh, are a husband to our spouse or a husband to our wife or a wife to our husband, like the way that we interact with people as beautiful worship to the glory of Christ Jesus. Yesterday, uh, last night, we had a, um, a welcome dinner at Dan and Shannon's house. You remember us uh, announcing over the last couple of weeks. And um, I'm always blown away when we get together for a welcome dinner because you get to hear what people are experiencing here at Mercy Hill Church. We go around the room, we introduce ourselves, how long you been at Mercy Hill, and it blows my mind because people tend to say pretty nice things about the church. And that shouldn't blow my mind, right? Because I think pretty highly of you and what we're doing here and what God's doing here. But it's so humbling, uh, the type of community that people are experiencing here at Mercy Hill Church. Um, it blows me away. It's humbling and it's awesome and it is all Jesus. It is all the beautiful Holy Spirit working in your life, working in my life, and us coming together to actually be the church. 
right? That's a big phrase around here. You'll hear me say that over and over again. We're not trying to build something. We're not just trying to build an institution or an organization or the name of Mercy Hill. What we're trying to do is we're simply trying to be something, and that's the church of Jesus Christ. Let's be the church one to another and allow Christ to add to our numbers, to the, the increase belongs to him, the decrease belongs to him. Whatever the results are belong to Jesus. We just simply be the church for the glory of Christ. So that's what we looked at last week. And this week, as we get into the book of John once again, I wanted to um, just kind of refresh your memory. I wanted to give a little recap here. Because what we're going to end up landing on today is something so essential to us truly being the church of God, to truly being followers and believers. And so let's recap a little bit, okay? So the beginning of John chapter 7, Jesus is going about in Galilee, right? That's in the north. That's above Judea. And he's not in Judea. He's not in Jerusalem because the Jews are now starting to seek him out to kill him. There's some opposition that is arising. You're now starting to see not just like this inquisitive nature, like trying to figure out who this great teacher is and all of this stuff, but now some of the religious leaders and the rulers of the law and the Pharisees, there's now opposition. They are seeking him out to kill him. The beginning of John chapter 7, it mentions the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, that this is going on right now. And well, we talked about it maybe four or five weeks ago now. Um, that the Feast of Booths is really about commemorating and remembering God's faithfulness in the wilderness wanderings. That this feast, it was a seven-day feast, and the people of Israel, what they would do is they would make booths. They would make, not really tents, but they were more like made out of like branches and thatch, and, and like they would have like branches for roofs and stuff, and they would do it for a whole week, even though they may have had houses, like even to this day. I think I threw a picture in our slide presentation today. Um, to this day, they will build temporary structures. You can see outside of their homes. This is like in the middle of the city. You can see all the pieces of wood there. They will build temporary structures to remember and commemorate their wilderness wanderings, and in particular, God's faithfulness during that time. His faithfulness in things like sending manna from heaven, that God, that Jehovah Jireh would provide for them and care for them through their wanderings, that he would nourish them, that he himself would sustain them by his hand and by his power. This festival was all about the faithfulness of God. And his brothers, the beginning of chapter 7, they give him a little bit of nudge, right? They say, hey, why don't you go to Judea? Why don't you go towards Jerusalem because there's a big feast going on and that's the center of Jewish life is in Judea and in Jerusalem. That's where all the big festivities happen, particularly around feast time, festival time. He wanted, uh, the, the brothers wanted Jesus to go there to reveal himself. No one works in secret if they wish to be known. Like, you are this great teacher. You are doing so many amazing things. Go to the center of it all and share and tell them who you are. Do the works and the miracles there. So let's look at verse 3 of chapter 7 real quick. His brothers. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea that your disciples may also see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he wishes to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And then this, like, haunting verse here, verse 5. 
for not even his brothers believed in him. Right? They saw what he could do. They saw the awesome works, the awesome power that he had. So like, go to, go to Jerusalem, go to Judea, go and reveal yourself, work openly in front of your disciples. And really what they were focused in on was the power. What they were focused in on is, is his works, his miracles and all that stuff. But they didn't truly believe or know or understand that he was the Messiah and that all of the works were pointing to something even better, even greater, more eternal, more eternal value. They didn't quite understand. They didn't quite believe. So like I said, they encouraged them to go to Judea, the center of Jewish life. That's where the temple is. That's where the, the center of worship is. And they wanted him to go there in the, ma- in, in the middle of one of the major Jewish festivals to put his power on display. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at uh, the beginning of this, this chapter, and I, I mentioned that everyone has a confession. You see that, that people are getting an impression of Jesus. Some say that he's a good man. Some say that he's leading people astray. Each one of us has an understanding of who Christ is, and I, I encouraged us a few weeks ago, like, we need to make sure that by the truth of God's Word and the power of God's Spirit illuminating His Word, that we have a true understanding and a true confession of who Christ is. Do we have a true understanding and a true confession that comes in line with the Word of God, empowered and illuminated by the Spirit of God? If not, what happens is, is we end up creating a God in our own image, in our own opinions, in our own, uh, in our own fabricated way. What a dangerous thing that is. That's why the Word of God and the Spirit of God alive in the hearts of His church is so vitally important. So we'd have a true understanding and thus a true confession of who He is. So let's read our text this morning. We're going to be down at the uh, kind of the middle towards the end of John chapter 7. We'll start in verse 37 today, and uh, we'll read through 44. So if you have your Bible, turn there with me, and let's read together. It says this, On the last day of the fast, uh, excuse me, of the feast, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the Scriptures said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was. So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. Before we do anything else, let's pray this morning uh, as we dive into God's word. So Father, again, we thank you and praise you. God, that you are choosing your own. God, that you are calling us to yourselves, that there um, is a whole room full of people here that was once in darkness, that we were by nature children of wrath, but you and your mercy, God, are calling us to yourself, that you are illuminating truth to our hearts, that you're causing us to see and behold Christ and become worshipers of you. And so, God, today I pray that we would believe. 
that we would have a true belief. God, that your Holy Spirit would come into our lives. That your Holy Spirit would come into our hearts. And God, that there would be something magnificently different about us. And so God, today, by your Spirit, by your Word, have your way in your people for your glory. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So over the last few weeks, uh, last few chapters actually, uh, we've seen uh, opposition arise, as I just mentioned. You've seen that the rulers of the law, you've seen that the uh, Pharisees, that there is opposition arising. But it really seems like you've got now three camps of people um, kind of noticing Jesus. The first one is the opposition, right? Those that are like becoming more and more upset. They're, they're working to arrest him. These are the rulers, the teachers, the Pharisees, right? They want to arrest him. They are now talking about killing him. These are the people that are thinking that Jesus is a false prophet, that he's leading people astray. He's upsetting the establishment. There is stark opposition. So there's one camp, right? And then you've got believers, You've got real believers. You've got people who are putting their faith and their understanding that he is the Messiah, and they are putting their lives in the hand of the Messiah. We've talked about believing and the root word of believing and faith. They come from the same Greek word, and um, that it's not just a mental assent. It's not just acknowledging um, a fact, but the root word there of believing and faith um, really has notes of, and I, I've said it before, I'll say it many times, of casting my life upon a person. So that I've come to this realization by the power of the Holy Spirit that he is the Messiah and I gladly hand my life over to him. I now belong to Christ. So these are the real believers, right? So okay, stark opposition, real believers, and then there seems to be Kind of like Jesus' brothers, these kind of faked, fake believers, these not real believers, not having a full understanding of who he is. And we've talked about it a little bit over the last few months, um, and I think it manifests itself in a couple of ways. You have an understanding, um, but Jesus becomes the means to our end. We've talked about that uh, extensively uh, a few months ago. Where Jesus becomes the thing that gives me the things. And sometimes those are like really good things, like, like peace and joy and happiness and all of that stuff. Like in the middle of our broken, crazy lives, we just seek him out to be the reliever of all the stuff. Instead of the treasure, the surpassing worth, that he is both the means and the end. But then I think, um, actually you see that in, in, in some of the folks after the feeding of the 5,000 in John chapter 6. And Jesus actually points it out in uh, verse 25. He says, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, where did you come from? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Your bellies were full. Do not work for food that perishes, but work for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Right? They were following him because they ate their fill of the loaves. Okay? So that's kind of one, one group of the, um, uh, say, fake believers, if you will. But then there's, I think, some, too, that acknowledge the power of God, but that's it. 
Makes me think of Nicodemus back in chapter 3, right? They, he could see that Jesus was, um, there was something about him, there was a power about him, that there was something different about him, but it was, a, it was merely an acknowledgement or a recognition of the power, but not something that was brought into their life, into his life personally at this point. And I think there's a danger in that. We talked about that a few months ago, that there are some of us in this room that I think you would acknowledge that Jesus is powerful. You would acknowledge that Jesus um, is, um, that there is something about him that is worthy. But yet there is like kind of this arm's length understanding of who he is instead of this internalization where we actually receive him. When, when Jesus says um, a few chapters earlier, when he says, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, right? And people, had, they had a hard understanding of that. They didn't understand, like, is this guy talking about cannibalism? What is he talking about? But he's saying, you must take me in. I am life. It is not just this arm's length recognition or acknowledgement of power or, or uh, that he is a great teacher, but I am the source of life, so take me in to your very being. It's the beauty of coming to Christ, truly coming to Christ, believing on him, because it's not just the mere acknowledgement of someone. It's not just the mere acknowledgement of power, but it's the receiving of power in the person of God. Do you understand the difference of that? Like when we receive Christ and we, you know, we use the church phrases like ask him into our hearts and he so graciously comes to us by the Holy Spirit, he dwells within us. And with that should be power, not just an acknowledgement of power on the outside, but an experience of power on the inside. My nature changes. I no longer crave the things of this world. My cravings start to change. I'm now, long, no, now no longer a slave to sin, but now I have the power of God inside of me to say no to sin. That in and of itself is a miracle. We don't understand it. We just think it's like self-determination and self-will, and I can say no. In yourself, you would never say no to sin. You would never say no to self-indulgence. You would never say no to pride or lust or taking and being greedy and all of this stuff. You would always take more. But the power of God in your life convicts you and gives you the power to say no to your flesh. It's a miracle of God. His own brothers at the beginning of chapter 7, they didn't understand completely. They were one of those followers that was just merely following the signs and following the works and following the power. They didn't quite understand at this point, and I think we have good reason to, uh, towards the end of the Gospel of John to see that they did become true believers in him. But at this point, it seems like they didn't quite understand. So Jesus is going about and he's teaching. Beginning of chapter 7, his brothers say, hey, come up to the festival. Come to Judea. Come up to the festival and make yourself known. And he's like, no, 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 no. It's not time yet. Go on ahead of me. And his brothers go on ahead. They go into Judea. And Jesus comes a little bit later. 
And in the middle of the feast, he actually starts teaching in the temple. He starts teaching in the synagogue. And he's making bold statements. Jesus has been making bolder and bolder statements as we've been getting through the book of John. He's been talking about, uh, he's been making some very messianic statements. Bolder and bolder he's becoming. You're going to see even more statements through the, through the rest of the book. Uh, John chapter 8, uh, we get into some of the I am statements. Some bold, bold statements. And so here we're at the Feast of Tabernacles. Celebrating God's faithfulness. A lot of the study that I've done over the last couple of weeks has, has really pointed out the palpable joy that is involved in this celebration, in this festival. That there is, a, there is like singing and dancing that is occurring because of the faithfulness of God, to remember and celebrate the faithfulness of God. And so it's all happening around them. It's, it's joyous. There's glorious singing and dancing, and, and Jesus kind of sneaks into it. Not like how his brothers wanted, but he kind of comes into the middle of it. He goes into the temple. He starts teaching, and people start to ask questions like, how is it that this man has learning when he has not studied? Isn't this the guy that the teachers want to kill? And then on the last day, our text today, on the last day, the great day of the feast, he gets up and he says, and he doesn't just say, he cries out. He cries out. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He cries out. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What a bold statement. Come to me. If anyone thirsts, Come to me. Wouldn't you be suspicious of that guy? Like, you've got a thirst? I'm your guy. I'm the one. And you might not see it. You might not realize it, but there's some really beautiful parallels in the book of John to the book of, Ac- uh, excuse me, the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 16 is the uh, passage about the manna from heaven, right? Where the Israelites are wandering in the desert, right? We're celebrating the Feast of Booths when they're wandering in the desert. Previous chapter, John chapter 6, he feeds the 5,000, and then he makes the bold declaration that I am the bread of life. Beautiful parallel. Exodus 16, John chapter 6, feeding the 5,000. He is the one. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they still died. But if you eat of me, bold statement. If you eat of me, you will never die. That's bold. There's a palpable joy about the faithfulness of God during this ceremony, during this festival. Seeing the faithfulness of God in the giving of himself. He's making a bold statement that it was never about your bellies. It was never about just simply bread coming down from heaven, but I am the one who satisfies your hunger. I am the one who satisfies your thirst. That all of that is found in me. I'm sure in the wilderness you see it, actually. They didn't always see how faithful God was. They seemed to complain quite a bit, didn't they? Anybody else in the room like that? Like in the middle of the trial, in the middle of the struggle, in the middle of a pandemic, you probably didn't notice how faithful God was to you, did you? But he was. 
He was. My eyes become so earthbound all the time. I see the stuff, I see the walls, I see the the trials, I see the struggles, and I don't see the faithfulness of my God. But in this festival, there's a palpable joy. Dancing, singing, celebration, because God is faithful. And I just want to declare that he is faithful to you today. He is faithful to you today, not just in the stuff, not just in the meeting of needs, but he is faithful to you today in the giving of himself, which is way greater, way bigger, way more important than any relief from any outside stuff. He is faithful to you. You might be saying, Kev, you don't get it. You don't understand what's going on right now. You don't understand the hurt that I feel. You don't understand the pain that I'm going through. You don't understand the loss that I've experienced. You just, you don't understand. And you're right. I I, I don't know what you're going through. But I look at the wilderness. I look at the children of Israel and how they wandered in all of the stuff that happened in the wilderness. And I go, yeah, you might feel like you're in the wilderness right now. But God was faithful, and he is still faithful. Not just to relieve the situation, which pray, and he does oftentimes. He oftentimes does. But pray, and I promise you, he will give you more of the bread, which is himself. So he's making bold statements. There's another beautiful parallel that you might not be aware of. Exodus chapter 16 Manna from heaven, that's John chapter 6. Exodus chapter 17, one chapter later, you have this beautiful story of water flowing out of a rock. They're in the wilderness. They just got done getting their bellies filled with miracle bread, wonder bread. I wanted to bring a wonder bread loaf up here. The dot, like wonder bread from God. And then they start complaining again. Like, they're thir- like, would you have us leave Egypt to come out here and die, Moses? And Moses is frustrated, rightly. Like, could you imagine leading those people? Like, I get frustrated with some of you sometimes, just to be honest. Um, but you guys are awesome. I'm just kidding. I'm never frustrated with you guys. Um, but sometimes, like, Moses is like, God, I don't know what to do with these people. Like, I don't know what to do. And so God is, like, gracious to his people, gracious to Moses. And he's like, all right, this is what you're going to do. You're going to grab your staff, grab that staff, and you're going to go to the rock, and you're going to strike the rock, and water comes out. It's a picture of Jesus. It's a picture of living water from the rock of our salvation. And he provides for his people that water starts gushing. That doesn't make any sense. Gushing from a rock And you've got this then beautiful parallel, and you're like, well, he's saying, if anyone thirsts and comes to me, anyone thirsts, let him come to me, and out of him, believe on me, and out of him will flow rivers of living water. Not just you're going to be satisfied. You're going to get a good drink. Take a sip. You're going to feel refreshed. No, there's going to be rivers, not just a river, but rivers flowing out of you. Wow. 
But what's even cooler about it is that I, what I learned over the last couple of weeks is that part of the Feast of Tabernacles, part of this seven-day feast of celebrating the faithfulness of God when they were in the wilderness, celebrating manna come down in Exodus chapter 16, celebrating water from a rock in Exodus chapter 17, Jesus gets up and says, if you thirst, come to me. Part of this festival was a, a water libation ceremony, was a water-pouring ritual. Part of this festival was this beautiful um, ceremony where they would take this picture. Let me read. I'm going to read from uh, D.A. Carson's commentary on this passage. And he actually quotes uh, a theological dictionary of the New Testament, I think by J. Jeremiah. Okay, he's quoting uh, an actual uh, New Testament dictionary here. It says this. On the seven days of the feast, a golden flagon, okay, so that's just like a big pitcher, like this really big golden pitcher. A golden flagon was filled with water from the pool of Siloam and was carried in a procession led by the high priest back to the temple. So it's like this parade with this water, with this beautiful golden pitcher. As the procession approached the water gate on the south side of the inner court, three blasts from the shofar, okay, so three blasts from a trumpet, connected with joyful occasions, were sounded. While the pilgrims watched, the priest, uh, the priest processed around the altar with the pitcher, with the flagon, and the temple choir sang the Hallel. Okay, this was a song. It was a prayer, and it was actually um, Psalms chapter 113 through 118. So they were singing... <laughs> A bunch of psalms out loud as this procession is happening and the high priest is walking around the altar with this golden pitcher of water. When the choir reached Psalm 18, every male pilgrim shook um, a willow branch, essentially. Willow and myrtle twigs tied together with palm. They shook it in their right hand. And in the left hand, they raised a piece of citrus fruit, which is a sign of, of harvest. And they all cried out, give thanks to the Lord three times. Okay, palpable joy. Palpable thanksgiving. The water was offered to God at the time of the morning sacrifice along with the daily drink offering of wine. Okay, it makes me think of Jesus right there, right? When Jesus had the spear ran into his side, what came out? Water and blood. The water and wine were poured into their respective silver bowls and the, uh, poured out before the Lord. Okay, go on. Keep reading it here. He's quoting from the uh, Theological Dictionary of the New Testament. It says, Moreover, these ceremonies of the Feast of Tabernacles were related in Jewish thought both to the Lord's provision of water in the desert and to the Lord's pouring out of the Spirit in the last days. Pouring at the Feast of Tabernacles refers symbolically to the Messianic age in which a stream from the sacred rock would flow over the whole earth. Bold statement. If you're thirsty, come to me. If you're thirsty, come to me. Believe on me and out of you will flow rivers of living water. I love it. I love it. I love how Jesus continually shows us that it's all about him. You ever read the Old Testament and you're like, I don't know what's going on right now. I don't get this, whatever. Chances are it's still about Jesus, just so you know. 
He promises rivers, not just a sip, not just a drink, not just a singular refreshing, but rivers. Verse 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Verse 38, whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart flow rivers of living water. What a beautiful picture. And I can't help but then ask, are we marked by that? Are we as a church marked by rivers? Is the American church, it is the current American church, is our church, me and you, marked by rivers? A believing in Jesus Christ that does not ebb and flow based on what Christ does for me at a particular time where I don't notice his faithfulness, where I'm looking around at all the stuff and all the trial and all the pain and the hurts and I'm just overcome, overwhelmed. I'm in the wilderness right now and I don't recognize his faithfulness. Are we marked by a believing that's not just a mere acknowledgement of power, but that his power is living in us and flowing through us like a gushing river? Is the church is the American church, is our church marked by that? I look around and I get little glimpses here and there, but for the most part, I hate to say it, but I don't see any rivers. And I have to ask, where is our believing? And I have to ask, like, where is our faith? Where is our trust? Where is our believing? Jesus is talking about the sending of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39 of our text, he says, Now he said this about the Spirit, on whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not been glorified. Continue to read through the book of John, and we'll get there eventually, but in John chapter 16, Jesus says, I'm going to leave you. And he actually says that it's better that he goes because then he's going to send the comforter. He's going to send the helper. He's going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not just going to be with his followers, but he's going to be in his followers. So Jesus dies and he's raised and he meets with the disciples. And before he sends, he tells them to go and wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. That he's going to baptize them, that he's going to fill them, that he's going to fill them to overflowing so that they could be his church. Like I said, as Ernie mentioned last week, right? The purpose of the church to spread the gospel. He was going to empower them with his spirit to share the gospel. Purpose of the church to edify the body. He was going to give them his Holy Spirit so that they would be gifted to build each other up. And glorify God. To do anything of any value eternally, we must be filled with and marked by the Holy Spirit of God. If you're in this place today and you have an understanding of Jesus, but you have not relinquished your life to Him, please stop playing church. Please stop playing games. Be marked by the work 
of the Holy Spirit in your life, if you've been resistant to his move in your life, if you've been resistant to his work in your life, today I implore you, please give up. Give up and let the Holy Spirit of God have his way in your life so that you truly can be the church. It's the only way. It's not in better strategies. It's not in better preaching. It's not in better uh, uh, music or songs or whatever it is. It's not in better programs or groups. It's in a collective body of people that were once in darkness who've been called into his glorious light and filled with the God of the universe. That type of people will be marked by rivers flowing out of them. Not to our acclaim, not to the building up of a church name or a pastor's name, but to the glory of Jesus Christ. I know that God is faithful. I know that God is faithful to give himself to those who ask. I know that God is faithful, and so the, the, the thing that wanes, the thing that uh, is not faithful is me and you. The thing that um, sometimes just tries to do it in our own strength is me and you instead of having an utter dependence on God and His Spirit in our lives. I think about in different places through Scripture, whether it's Paul talking to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, where he says, fan into flame the gift of God, right? We can do things to fan into flame the Holy Spirit in our lives. Like, I've been really getting into, like, smoking meat uh, these days. And there's, like, there's a, a finesse to the coals that you have to have just right been doing a lot of charcoal smoking. I don't have one of those fancy machines that some of you guys got with the automated augers and temperature controls and all of that stuff. Like, I sit there, I got to sit there with like a, a paper plate and like try to get those coals going once in a while, right? But like God has done something in a lot of you. God has done something in us and a lot of us, we just neglect it. We leave it to some mental ascent, some little bit of theology. We have an understanding of how Jesus came, he died for me, and this and that. And then right there, it just kind of sits and stays. And instead of um, walking by the Spirit and fanning that into flame daily, like engaging and actively participating in the Holy Spirit, what we do is we just end up walking in our flesh. Jesus becomes a Sunday thing and an add-on thing, and we got to got our life going, we got our thing going, or it's like, Jesus, come bless it, Jesus, come bless it, Jesus, come, I, I'm done with that on Jesus. Like, Jesus is everything, he reorients everything, he's everything. And I want to walk by the Spirit and fan that into flame. There's also talk in Scripture, in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, where we can quench him. We can extinguish, we can, like, a, take a, a cold cup of water and throw it on those coals instead of fan it into flame. We can, in our own flesh, kind of squash what the Holy Spirit's trying to do. I love what God is doing in our church. And I really feel like the Holy Spirit is doing something awesome and vibrant. Um, participate. Um, find your thirst. 
And thirst is an interesting word because thirst is like real like primal. It's like real instinctual, like, man, I'm thirsty right now. Better take a sip before my voice gets dry and I start sounding weird. But then there's also like notes of desire, what I thirst for, what I desire, what I long for. And we can feed that. Like if you've ever like have you ever done like a like a sugar detox? I think I've talked about this before. Like like us Americans, we are addicted to sugar. There's a lot of sugar in this coffee right now, I'm ashamed to say. We're addicted to sugar. You ever do a sugar detox and it's like really hard and you're like got the shakes and like headaches and all this stuff for a while, but then after you get through it and after you do it for a while, like then you like are like eating better food, whole food or whatever it might be, this or that. And then you get back to that point where you have some sugar or you have something and it's like, ugh, this is gross, right? Like we can feed all of those things. We can feed our spirit and detox from the sugar of this fleshly life. And then when we go back to it, it doesn't taste as sweet. It used to taste really good, but it doesn't taste as sweet. The only prerequisite here is a thirst. Think about, uh, I asked Nate this morning if he remember if he knew the song, As the Deer Pants for the Water. Anybody? That was the first song I ever led worship uh, in a youth group up in Minnesota back when I was uh, a freshman in Bible school, sophomore in Bible school. Was not a worship leader. It was horrible. It sounded so bad. It was, and that was the, but I still remember that that's the song from Psalm 42, As the Deer Pants for the Water, Soul, My Soul Longs for You, God. That's the type of thirst that God is faithful to fill, not just with a blessing, but with himself. What a beautiful thing. I'm going to start to wrap up. Nate, if uh, you and the band want to get ready, we'll worship God here in a minute. Got a couple questions for you guys as we wrap up today. Do you recognize God's faithfulness to you? Maybe you're not even sure if you're a believer, but this morning you felt the Holy Spirit speak into your heart. And maybe you know you need to give your life to him. Maybe you've been a believer for a while, and you've failed to recognize his faithfulness. There's not a palpable joy in your life. There's not this celebration like happening at the Feast of Booths where you're like, God, you're so faithful to me. And, and, and maybe you just, you have, you've been in the wilderness. You've been in the wandering. You've been stuck in a situation. You just haven't quite seen it. And today, you just want to pick your eyes up and see the faithfulness of your God. I, I would encourage you. See, when we fail to recognize God's faithfulness, worship is a really difficult thing. Like, Bad worship, not musically or anything like that. Bad worship is a recognition problem most of the time. It's a noticing problem. It's a, my eyes are earthbound, my eyes are not heavenward. And when I get my eyes heavenward and I can see, when I can notice, when I can remember and recognize the faithfulness of God, I'm overcome with worship. Like it just flows out of me. Maybe you've been stuck, not noticing his faithfulness. Maybe today, get your eyes up.
in a few minutes when we sing, worship. Lift your voice. Lift your hands. Lift your heart. Lift your, lift your soul to your God and worship him because he's faithful. question I have for you this morning is do you thirst for Christ? you thirst for what he has for you? Do you thirst for the promise that he has for you in the Holy Spirit? Are we still sugar addicted, still craving the things of this world? Today I would implore you to come to Christ and drink Truly receive him. Truly believe on him. Drink of his promise and be filled with his Holy Spirit. Don't be a fake believer. Don't be a fooled believer like his own brothers who don't quite understand it, who just acknowledge his power and acknowledge his works as if it's something out there, but experience the power in him and his Holy Spirit. Drink of him, the one who satisfies, the one who fills, the one who allows us to walk in power over sin, the one who allows us to be impassioned and emboldened to proclaim the gospel. Be filled with the Holy Spirit today. Walk by that Spirit, fan it into flame. want to be a church that's marked by rivers. That's what the church is supposed to be. Empowered by the Spirit of God. Tethered to the Word of God. Living boldly, vibrantly to the glory of Christ. Today, let's drink of Christ. Let's fan into flame, walking by the Spirit, and let those rivers of water flow. How awesome are those believers? How awesome is that church? Let's pray, and then let's just respond. Okay, let's worship. Let's recognize this faith. Let's respond. If you know that you've been living either resistant to or just maybe kind of stuck in your flesh or kind of stiff-arming the Holy Spirit, like today, surrender to him. Open up your heart to him and allow him to do your work. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you that you are faithful to us, your people. We're thirsty. And God, so we come. We come to you now. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. And God, let those rivers flow from our lives. Let us truly be your church to the glory of your name. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me. Let's sing together. And as we do this, okay, this, I don't want this to be like the last song before we leave. It probably will be, just so you know. But don't treat it as that, okay? This isn't like the signature line at the end of a letter and we're done. Like you guys are like Packer games in 45 minutes. Let's go. Okay. Do some business with the Holy Spirit. Keep responding to the Holy Spirit during this time.